Hello and welcome to Cognitive Urbanism. This is Justin Hollander, your host, and I am you know, really happy to have a chance to share this installment of the podcast. I had an um, opportunity to travel to Japan as my first time in East Asia, and what better way to kind of organize a, uh, uh, a new podcast uh, episode than, than to, to just have talk about this uh, experience that I had. I um, really was, I was uh, in Japan because a uh, conference on shrinking cities, which is a, a research area that I um, uh, do, do work in, they invited me, and um, so it was a great opportunity while I was there, I also gave a public lecture at the City Planning Institute of Japan, which is uh, you know the national organization for urban and regional planning for the country. So, so those are like kind of my, my two official um, activities that I did while I was there. And I don't really want to talk about those activities so much on this podcast. What I really wanted to talk about was you know just the overall impressions that I had from from the visit. I was quite astounded by the ways in which Japan, um, I spent time in, in both Tokyo and Kyoto, so those cities and in, in, in how, how different they are um, than, than other places I've been. And so really just want to use this podcast episode to just kind of uh, talk about some, some just general impressions that I had. So before going, I did make some effort to just uh, uh, get a sense about the, the culture and some phrases that would be helpful um, before traveling. And those of you who are scholars of Japanese culture or you who've been there yourself, um, some of the stuff won't be that new. But, you know, I did, did want to just kind of get like a little bit of a sense. And one of the things that I was really impressed by um, in, in kind of studying up ahead was, you know, how fundamentally different the Japanese society is from, from Western society. Um, you know, starting with just the kind of basic foundation of the, uh, Buddhism being the predominant religion and how that has infused a society with such a strict code of contact, conduct and behavior, um, you know, different than you know what we have in the United States, for example, very kind of multicultural, multi-religious, where people draw on all kinds of different faith traditions. Um, what I read about and then later experienced firsthand was that in Japan, the role of the of the um, uh, Buddhist uh, religious framework really um, you know has infused just basically every single uh, social relationship that exists between people. So, so when I arrived and started to uh, interact with folks, this is everything from the taxi driver to the uh, woman at the ticket counter um, to just people I passed on the street, really such a, such a uh, deep and abiding uh, sense of a humbleness of, of respect for elders and people of high status, um, a lot of bowing. This is um, something that 
Japanese culture is very quite famous for. And the, and, the, and the deeper the bow, the, the uh, higher the person's uh, status is than the person doing the bowing. So, um, so, so this this is like really a major shock for me, just a cultural shock in terms of um, being being much more used to the uh, American and spending having spent time in Europe and and um, and elsewhere, but just um, just really seeing how how. This kind, these kinds of practices um, ended up translating into urban planning. Now, so what I mean by that is, you know, just seeing the city, seeing how it's, it's run, how it's managed, how it's designed. Um, and when I say city, I do need to, um, of course, restrict my, my, my comments only to what, you know, where I stayed and, and, and spent some time, which is, again, Kyoto, which uh, for a thousand years was the capital of Japan, um, but then a couple hundred years ago, it was uh, transferred to Tokyo. Um, and Tokyo, uh, by most measures, is the largest city in the world. So, so really, two really um, special places. And what I saw was that this really deep and abiding connection with uh, uh, status hierarchy, with, um, with respect and humbleness... With frankly, with um, uh, a real value towards um, the stranger and and being welcoming to outsiders, what you saw was a was both cities. They just were so efficiently run. I mean, the trains really run on time. There was a a big kind of um, a joke on the internet uh, just a couple of weeks before I traveled to Japan about how a train left the station about fifty seconds before it was supposed to and the train company issued this press release and they did a press conference and you know the big big um, apology to the public for their failure um, so, so this uh, attentiveness to timeliness and punctuality and and real really about uh, really at the inside of it is really about efficiency um, it, it's really uh, it's really uh, seen throughout the city operations. And so, so you see it in public transit, you see it in the road networks, you see it in the efficient distribution and allocation of land uses. Um, you see it in just the commercial marketplace. The, the, at least for the cities, what you saw was very effective in these two cities, very effective uh, operating markets. Um, very little vacancy and abandonment the, what's really striking is that, that, that these are both Kyoto and Tokyo were just um, very lively, um, busy places where, where there was a, quite a lot of activity. Uh, a lot of the kind of things that we aspire to in, uh, in American cities in terms of density and activity and pedestrian orientation and transit, transit-oriented development, they have it all there in, in, in Kyoto and, and, um, and in um, Tokyo. So really, just really impressive in that sense. So what's really interesting is the flip side of all that, which is the rural context. Now, of course, I can't speak firsthand about experiences, though I did take a train, the bullet train, through the rural parts of Japan, and, and the result was I, you know, I did see 
rice field after rice field that had been abandoned. And then, so really what's going on here and the kind of larger story is that for millennia, Japan has, and the Japanese people have used rice as the staple of their diet. And as Japan has become more westernized, especially over the last hundred or so years, what you've seen is a transition to a wheat-based diet. Now, nobody's going to say that today that transition is complete, but what it has done is, is the transition has, has impacted. It has severely impacted the demand for rice products in, in Japan. And so, but, but the production of rice is, is uh, inherently, as, as an agricultural endeavor, it's inherently a rural enterprise. And so what you've seen is rural decline. And also a smaller city decline. The reason that I was invited there was be to Japan was because as someone who studies and writes about shrinking cities, they, I mean, this is a problem that they really have. It's a, it's a genuine problem. Now, the transition, uh, agricultural transition away from production of rice um, has not been the driver of this, and I don't want to, you know, confuse things. The biggest driver has been demographics, and what you, what you have in, in Japan is a, it's just a very low birth rate. And you know, in my conversations with Japanese during my visit, you know, I definitely, in my own observations, I definitely, you know, got a sense that that there's a strong disincentive and disinterest among the youngest people, teens and twenty somethings, even thirty somethings. Um, to get married and to have children. Um, it's not that it's not happening. People definitely are. <laughs> There's no question. But um, it's really, really strikingly different than what I've seen um, in the U.S. Though I can't say that it's really that different than Western Europe. I mean, a lot of similar kinds of um, patterns we're seeing in Western Europe as well. Um, but, um, you know, in Japan, they're the, one of the, the number one best-selling books is by an author. Her name is Sayaka Murata. Um, she wrote a, she's actually written a couple books, but the, but the most recent is called Convenience Store Girl. And she is a bestseller, but both in Japan and now that Convenience Store Girl has been translated into, into English um, internationally. And, and she speaks to this profound shift underway in, in Japanese society uh, that, that recognizes the single woman not interested in, in uh, relationships and not interested in having children um, and, and her life and her desires and, and really a, a, what Sayaka Murata is really, really doing is normalizing it and, and, and saying that's been my experience and, and writing about characters who that was their experience and saying it's okay and it's normal and this, there's been a you know huge interest in that and and so really in many ways uh, what, we're, what we're talking about here is is declining interest in in um, creating new families and 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 children and and really a declining population and that's that's, that's also led to. Um, this, this overall demographic decline in, in the country. So, I was hopefully I was hopefully able to help. I said at the beginning of this I was not going to talk about you know what I what I lectured on my public lectures, but 
Um, but certainly, if you're interested in learning more about that, you know, go to my website and you can read some of my stuff and my books. Um, but for me, it's really just a wonderful opportunity to, to see a very different part of the world and to meet, you know, I met so many great people, uh, both at the conference and at the public lecture and, and then just <laughs> waiting in line at a, at a Japanese bakery um, sandwich shop, which uh, back to that transition away from rice. But yeah, so really had a, a, just a really great time and um, hope to be able to return someday. So thank you for listening uh, to this installment of my podcast and uh, hope to be able to do another one shortly. All right. Have a nice one.